first up, what we are going to talk about is something that is actually surprisingly topical and uh, prescient and uh, newsworthy, despite it being a, a Friday, because climate is such a big issue for people nowadays. People are concerned about it. People don't like what's happening with the climate. People are worried about extinction. People are worried about, uh, we talked during the week on the programme about something like 10% of species going extinct. But equally, the, the the two the two degree rise in temperature that's going to flood half the planet and create unlivable conditions throughout the world. There's going to be migration and famine. All of these things we hear about, and we have declared a climate emergency, which sounds kind of quite good, like we're dealing with it. But this is what Gronya says, Kira. I think you should start a conversation about the climate emergency. When I heard this announced on the news last night, I thought to myself. That's a bit rich, really. Our own Taoiseach has said we're way off meeting our current targets to prevent climate change. And it's all well and good declaring an emergency. But what are they going to do about it? Uh, And while I'm at it, I think it was on your programme that I heard that it's 100 big global companies that are behind most of the emissions in the world. I've heard that too. And it's still people like me doing their best to recycle and not pollute and go to protests that are being persecuted with taxes and tolls. Are we going after the wrong culprits? I am fed up with this issue today, I think. I'd love to know what other listeners think. So 53106, what do you think? Is it worthwhile declaring an emergency? But if we declared a different kind of an emergency, if we said uh, your house was on fire and there was an emergency, you would immediately call the fire brigade, you would get out the hoses and you'd, you'd react instantly. What are we actually going to do to this climate change emergency here? If we're not going to do anything... Well, then, is this just all lip service? But one of our listeners, Dave, is already on the line to talk about this. Dave, what did you think about the announcement that came from the Dáil that the six TDs who were sitting at the time that the motion was put to the House agreed that we have a climate uh, emergency? Yeah, hi, Kira. Um, How are yes, you? I, I'm good, thank you. I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing that they've done, um, but it's no good unless we back it up. Um, the government have been given, I suppose, the industry, renewable energy industry, lip service for a number of years. Yeah. Um, without real substance behind it. Policy isn't there. And the sad thing about it is Ireland has a massive potential to be a leader in this space. I mean, if we look across the country, we've only a small population, relatively speaking, compared to different countries, but we have a resource there. So it can be the bioenergy resource, wind, solar, retrofitting of houses. It's, It's not that hard for us to catch up and become a leader. But unfortunately, the policy behind it all isn't there. Um, But it's also not just the renewable energy, it's biodiversity loss. I mean, some people might know this, but, you know, an acre of bog is something like three or four times better at taking CO2 than the Amazon rainforest. So we have an easy win there if we would do something with the bogs. Um, You know, if we support uh, renewable heat or gas, we can, you know, take every truck and bus off the road, off diesel, and replace that with, with Irish renewable gas, for example. If you have a house in the middle of nowhere, you could get a grant to put in a solar panel. But that costs money. So we need to be able to to make a fair way of collecting that money. We already pay money to the government anyhow in in a PSO levy. It's about €40 per person or per per household. But most of that money goes to your power stations that run on peat or coal. So, you know, the money is there. We need a little bit more but the opportunity for Ireland to, let's say, diversify from just beef farmers or cattle farmers or dairy farmers into energy farmers and beef farmers. Um, a, a, a local person could, uh, in, the, in the urban areas, could say, OK, I'm going to put an insulation around so they can start doing a little bit more of that work. So it's, there's opportunity for Ireland to make a, a fast gain 
um, yes, it's going to cost money, but the cost-benefit analysis, if they did it, <laughs> would definitely justify it, in my opinion. Look, I, I, I'm in agreement with you, Dave, and I, and I think that... Uh, Climate is the issue of our time. I, I, I don't think there's mm. anyone who understands the science of it would, would disagree. And I think there's people texting saying, I was proud to hear that we were the second country to sort of go with the climate emergency. But it's all very well saying it's an emergency. But if you're not going to tackle our energy systems, exactly as you say, and, and move away from fossil fuels to other things, if you're not going to tra- uh, tackle transport, public <coughs> transport, yep. haulage, cars, t- turn things to electric, all of those things, if you're not, if you're not going to do those things, and the big one, I think, if you're not going to tackle agriculture, because the truth of it is, is our dairy and our beef industry is a billion dollar industry. I don't think that we're going to make any difference. I think unless we actually get stuck into those things, um, nothing will change. Yeah, and I don't really hold out a lot of hope, particularly around the agricultural sector, which is the only industry worth a damn to a large extent in rural Ireland. Mm. I don't think we're going to actually see that happen. Well, we can we can work with the agriculture industry. For example, if you build biomethane plants, you can take the slurry from your animals. So you can still have all your dairy farms and all your beef farms, but you take the slurry and then you can run all your buses, for example, in Dublin. So the farmer won't change his way of, of, of day-to-day way of working, but the resources from that industry, from distilleries, from dairy plants themselves, they can provide a lot of energy with their waste. Which, sound, which sounds great, but do you not mm. think that, that uh, particularly in the agricultural sector, that people are very wedded to the traditions of it, they're very wedded to the sort of the Irish yep. heritage of it? And so, like, we, you mentioned the bogs there and that the bogs mm. per, per acre are better for taking CO2 out of the air than the Amazonian rainforest. Now, we yep. look at them cutting down the Amazonian rainforest and we're appalled, but you have a huge amount of people here say, you'll not stop me cutting my bog. You'll not stop me doing things like that. So on the one hand, yeah, we go climate, 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 but the actions that we would have to take personally to change the climate situation from, from Ireland's point of view are, are often an ask we're not, you know, we're not willing to, to step up to. Yeah, well, OK, well, let's look at it this way. The biggest user of energy in Ireland is the state. So, I mean, if the state took the lead in this and said, right, we take all the hospitals out of oil or gas and go to renewable gas, for example, that would be a, an easy way to, to lower carbon without the, without the normal Joe So person being affected on their day-to-day business. Yeah. I mean, that the bogs are, like, oh, if you look at farming, let's say west of Ireland, you might have a, a farmer who's 65, 70. None of their children are going to go into that business because they know there's no money to be made from it out of 20 acres. So, you know, that farmer, for example, could be better off and saying, right, here's your common agriculture policy, but why don't you let the land go to meadows or put in native uh, forestry. So the West, you know, the what yeah. you call that, um, the Atlantic, wild Atlantic Way is a massive thing now for people seeing from Donegal to Cork. Yeah, and it's beautiful and, you, and, and I wouldn't, yeah. You could add in forestry, native forest woodlands as well there. So the local farmer, let's say, that's making no money could go and diversify in something else like this. And the guys in the Golden Vale who actually are productive, let them produce the real productive land and maximise that. So it's about balancing the whole country and say, right, certain parts of, I don't know, North Mayo or something would be no good for a dairy farm, but wouldn't it be fantastic if that bog was left as bog and other marginal land was brought into, let's say, real forestry, not your plantation forestry, or forestry which is not much good really yeah, in reality. Yeah. But there's opportunity. It's just the government, I suppose, all the government departments are, are in their silos. 
the, the trans- yeah. transport. So you're saying they should all have a sort of a, a, a policy plan. that, yeah, a master plan that drives policy within individual departments. How how will these actions support climate yeah. change? Yeah, or, or not change, and but people, improving it. People give out about, you know, carbon tax and they look at, like, these same people give out about water charges. But at the end of the day, we need to have uh, a stick to beat somebody with. So let's say a large industry would still pay a carbon tax, but they will change as well. So that small person might pay a little bit more. But in the end, if you've got a yeah. grant then out of all of this and, and put in a solar panel in your house. Yeah, no, I hear you. you. Your, energy, your energy prices are halved. No, so no, 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 fair play. short-term and, pain. And thank you. And thank you for kicking off the conversation, Dave. I think it's an important one to have. Thank you for that indeed. Another one of our listeners, Mike, is on the line. Mike, what do you think about this? We've declared an emergency. Do you expect people to step up to the plate now and act on that declaration? Yeah, thanks, Kira, for having me on. And yeah. the short answer to your question is yes. Um, and I'll qualify that by saying, you know, I wouldn't, in my mind, look to the government for ultimate direction on this. I think this is something that everybody in the country has to do, you know. And um, I just thought it was very interesting that it's come up the political agenda through that, say, brave um, Swedish girl. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, if you look throughout Europe, you know, it's kind of school kids and university people who are starting to say, hold on, you know, the planet is at risk, you know. So I was very, very taken by the fact that the word emergency was used. Um, And a couple of thoughts just came to my mind. You hear it on uh, earlier on. um, Agriculture, just looking at the EPA figures here, Counts for about 30% of greenhouse gases, yeah? Yeah. And, you know, um, my feeling would be that we would need to have, you know, a very um, a very open and honest forum between the agriculture sector and, I suppose, um, the folks who are, you know, um, experts in helping them drive down their, their, um, their greenhouse gases, you know? Um, so kind of, you know, rather than throwing it over to the government department and setting up, you know, potential friction and conflict and stuff like that, I think they should really need to work together, maybe in a model a bit like the Citizens' Assembly kind of thing, you know? I do, Um, and I don't mean to be a cynic, right? Except for a Citizens' Assembly has no ability to impose on private citizens, which is who farmers are, uh, mm. that they would change their business model. So so, so you, you can talk, it can be a talking shop and you can you can say, we'd like to see this happen. We'd love to see that happen. But at the end of the day, if you were a farmer and you have a big herd of cattle and from that herd of cattle, you, you, you sell beef and you sell uh, mm-hmm. off to creameries, you sell milk and butter and, and, and all of those, you know, those products that go from being a dairy farmer. And, and that's your livelihood and it's the livelihood of your family and maybe your, your brother's family and your sister's family and maybe all the people who work for you. We can talk in citizens' assemblies to we're blue in the face, but agriculture is not going to change. It's like changing an oil tanker. And it also is a billion dollar industry, as I say, so that so the economy is dependent on it too. And it's not oh, going to change completely. just because we all chat about it. No, completely. And, you know, I mean, it's a premium product from this country. Yeah. Um, Kerrygold uh, hit didn't one billion, one billion yeah. right? You know, so I mean, and that's you know, a success story for us. I don't, I don't want to knock Kerrygold. Absolutely, you know, and I'm not getting on the back of yeah. agriculture, but I'm just saying, you know, if we were to look at the stats, you know, I think we're going to have to think differently about 
how we work with, you know, sectors such as agriculture um, to try and bring down greenhouse gases, you know. Yeah, no, no, um, I, I think you're right. So that was my first thought. My second thought was that um, the other kind of uh, contributors are energy and transport at about sort of 21% here, according to the IPA. Um, sorry, to the EPA. But um, I spotted a very, very interesting initiative up in the Shetland Islands, okay? So they're not short of wind, yeah? yeah, yeah. And uh, they're very self-sufficient when it comes to electricity. So they actually have an excess of electricity. And the old um, the old challenge has been, well, you know, how can you store electricity, you know? Um so what they've come up with is a very clever way of basically when they have over uh, sorry oversupply, um, they basically convert it to hydrogen. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they they store hydrogen, and they're converting um, pretty much all the cars and to hydrogen-based cars. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. Quite clever, I, isn't it? Know. And we have but a very you know, windy western seaboard for sure. We do. Exactly, exactly. But you know, I. I it kind of said to me, Kira, you know, there's a little bit of lateral thinking yeah. um, that uh, was driven by the council, actually, you know. But no, you're, 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 you're you totally know, right, you know, Mike, and we you know. need lateral thinking. And thank you. And I love when people come on and tell us things that we don't know. So so thank you for that, indeed. Uh, one of our texters says regarding the climate, it is only more spin for now, Kira. I will wait until they take action. Just this week, I have pulled two plastic election posters out of the sea. That's not great, is it? And someone else says, Kira, I had to buy my new vehicle for work. It's a taxi. I did not have the option of an electric or a hybrid vehicle because the NTA will only license wheelchair diesel taxis. Uh, and that's been the way since 2010. So if you're a wheelchair taxi driver, you need to have a diesel car. You're not allowed to have an electric one. This is guess, cockeyed, isn't it? Uh, and someone says, hi, Kira, climate change is the logical result of the huge increase in the world's population and of the standard of living that the population feels it's entitled to. I think that's probably true. I think that's probably exactly true. Uh, One of our listeners, Shona, is on the line. Shona, you think Ireland is in the perfect position to do something really radical. Tell me about that. Hi, Kira. Um, Yeah, uh, similar to your first caller who um, kind of said about the size that we are as a country, like um, we have a small population, we have temperate climate, we have good international support, we're an island nation. So we are actually in an ideal position to do something really, really innovative do something from the top down that covers every part of our society. question is if the will is there. I mean, as a nation, you know, we're notorious for kind of short-term planning, firefighting. There isn't really a whole lot of actual, real, long-term planning that happens. Yeah, I agree. But the question is, can we can we do it? Is the will there? Um, and the other thing that occurred to me, kind of listening to your callers and uh, thinking about this topic, was um, the whole thing about national policy. How do you create national policy that is actually effective yeah. um, is the big question. And we're talking a lot about kind of ag- agriculture, the rural sector, but really something this big, it comes to all sectors of society. Well, it it's does. does. I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you, but yeah. but I uh, call me a, a cynic, call me uh, mm-hmm. somebody who, who, you know, is bitter and twisted or whatever you like. I'm not holding my breath. No, but maybe this is something that all of us need to ask ourselves, and as a country, we need to ask ourselves. We've done a lot of interesting work in recent years, bringing our constitution up to date, removing some things that are out of date, changing things to make it more suitable for the modern world. Maybe this is the time to look at something like our constitution and actually put it at that high level, write it into our constitution that we, 
the requirement for sustainable development and sustainable management of our environment and our resources. If you have it at that level, if everybody votes it in, then surely some action would have to be taken, not just at a national level, but individually as well. Yeah, I, I don't know, Shona. I, I mean, I, we, we can only but speculate. My only fear is, is that the Constitution is a pair of handcuffs that, that, and you might say, well, we want to be handcuffed to that, but we thought we wanted to be handcuffed to, to the Eighth Amendment in 1983 and, and we, it turns out we didn't. You know, I, I worry about the Constitution, if I've been very yeah, honest. I mean, I'd rip up the whole thing and throw it in the bin. A, yeah, yeah, it does have a lot of um, benefits in ter- as well if it's used correctly and I think this is important enough. This is a national Yeah, no, it, it, it is. Enough. It yeah. is important yeah. and I and I, I completely yeah. agree with that. And thank you for your optimism. I like it. Okay. <laughs> you have <laughs> to stay optimistic. Well, you, well, you do. I don't know why I'm yeah. not, but you're totally right. You do. Um, someone says, Kira, you can't displace high density, cheap fossil fuels with wind, solar and biomass and batteries uh, without discussion of nuclear. It is a key component we're not facing reality. I actually agree with you, Dermot. I think that uh, nuclear, you know, it's not what it once was, uh, as in it's getting better, it's getting cleaner. And um, I also think considering what we could do with the nuclear waste is, is remove it from the planet altogether and put it on the moon or somewhere. I don't see that necessarily we should, uh, I suppose, discount it. Um, although that's radical for you, isn't it? To have nuclear waste and put the, have nuclear power and put the waste on the moon. Um, I should, I should be involved in climate action, shouldn't I? I should, I should really be setting policies here. Um, Aaron is also on the line. Aaron, what do you think about the climate change emergency? Is it a, a, the declaration, I suppose? Is, is it, is it welcome? Does it have any value? Will we see any action? Hi there. How are well, you? Yeah, there's a, for sure, a number of those threads, like, it's absolutely welcome. I think it's the the first step, you know, in a lot of these movements that we're seeing, Extinction Rebellion, the school strikes movement. Yeah. They are calling for governments everywhere to declare climate emergency. So, you know, in that context, it's completely welcome. It's what's needed. It, it also, like we are, we did see yesterday, it didn't have huge representation. It could be seen as lip service. And, you know, we actually need to wait until we see a very detailed climate action plan to really feel like this is being taken seriously. Because I suppose what, even though this is the first demand of, of these movements, what really needs to come into place is a way that this that the just transition is implemented and um, that this detailed climate emergency plan will actually be drawing from the likes of JACA and the Intergovernmental Platform on Biodiversity and Economic You'll have to help system. me out about JACA because I don't know what it is. Sure, that was the Joint Oireachtas oh, um, Committee on Climate Action. Um, so, you know, a lot of the work is there. It's being done. but We actually need to take it and make it very detailed so that this is treated like an emergency. Yeah. There's no point just declaring emergency without actually acting like it. See, Aaron, that's my feeling. I, I think that there were six TDs sitting and nobody objected and everyone said, oh, this is a lovely thing. Yeah, it's an emergency. You know, tick that box. But you heard what Leo Varadkar said. He said, well, we're struggling to meet the 2030 um, requirements, so more onerous requirements don't look very likely now. So so the the, the, the House of the Iraq, the Leinster House, can declare an emergency, but the government is sending a message saying, well, nothing we can do about it. So it's it's not really real, is it? Isn't it just well, a bit of window dressing? This emergency, this declaration actually gives us very credible standpoint to, to actually address the policies that are not keeping us in line with that. You know, for instance, if our national agricultural plan is calling to increase the herd, that's not in line with us declaring an emergency. So it actually gives us a very credible way to say we are standing for what we see as being the actual way to address this. Yeah, yeah. No, I, look, to, to challenge that. 
So, and you know, many movements are like the the school strikes at the last one. It was an incredible turnout, and you know, they are saying declare emergency. That's happened, but it doesn't mean that that movement is going to go away. You know, this all these things are gaining momentum because there's serious action that's needed on the ground. Yeah, and, no. You know, I, I, look, I think the people want action. I think I think a lot of people do, but equally, I I, I don't know. I, I I am not feeling overly optimistic, despite the lovely people coming on the line telling me that they are. I, I, maybe it's maybe it's just a funny mood I'm in today. Loads of people texting too. Someone says, myself and my wife went vegan in an effort to reduce climate impact. We can't change our transport habits. I'm a medical sales rep and I have to drive a van for work uh, and there's no other options available. Once an electric van becomes available with good range and not costing three times the price of a regular car, I'll do that too. We've bought reusable cups. Um, we've availed of government grants to, for solar and thermal heating. Little changes do add up yet the big retailers are allowed wrap fruit in useless bags and trays of plastic they consider to sell plastic bags rather than thick paper bags and they waste masses of food daily and they don't compost it all true all absolutely true someone else says uh, on post care are in the process of changing their delivery van fleet to electric vehicles they're also introducing electric bikes could other state bodies follow suit I bet you they could and it's a great idea. But this is also very interesting and I suspect that this texter is not alone, uh, particularly because the Irish, we do like to subvert, we do like to undermine the rules, we do like to think that rules are for other people and we do look at sometimes the state and the establishment and the authority as not us. We kind of see ourselves as, as renegades in some way. So them says, Kira, i just like to declare that I couldn't give a fiddler's F about climate change. After health, mortgage, housing, education, etc. It comes way down my list of priorities and I don't need a bunch of bored again hippies and welfare tourists telling me I can't put an extra turf on the fire during winter. Just saying. I suspect there's more than that person who thinks like that. 53106. Let me know um, if, if you feel any differently or if you feel the exact same. It is live and unscripted today on Lunchtime Live. I don't know what's coming next. It could be more on climate change, but I think we're also going to talk about national broadband plans as well at some point. Stay with us. Now, just before the break, we started talking about climate change. As you probably know, they declared a national, well, not national, it's an international, but they declared a climate uh, emergency in the Dáil. It was uh, a Fianna Fáil motion, although there was no Fianna Fáilers there to vote on it. Uh, It was, I think, uh, Eamon Ryan who proposed it and the six TDs who were in the Dáil at the time six uh, went along with it and said it was great and yes we have declared it but it means nothing as far as I can see because Leo Radker says we can't hardly meet the current targets that we're supposed to have for climate change and uh, indeed putting more onerous ones on us is not realistic. Is he right? Is he wrong? Let me know what you think. Um, someone says Kira, this climate change promise is a sop to the floating greens just as the rural broadband plan is a sop to the floating rural voters as the Metro North plan I see where they were going here is a sop to the Dublin floating voter all we're short of is a sop to the unions watch this space elections are on the way uh, nothing surer than it will follow yeah I think there's an element of that someone says Kira, stop focusing on farming people need to look at themselves and stop flying they need to use buses and eco cars here's the thing we need to do all of the things. We need we need to focus on people stopping flying. We need to focus on agriculture. We need to focus on, on energy. We need to focus on transport. It's it's not one thing. It's everything. We have to we have to focus on all of them. And and it isn't like, well, we won't focus on agriculture, we'll just focus on flying. Or we won't focus on flying, we'll just focus on agriculture. We have to hit every single sector and change the way we do things. And that's 
why there's such resistance to this. There's no two ways about it. And Tim says, Kira, this climate emergency declaration is tokenism at best. There is zero substance behind it. Most people are too materialistic and do not understand what will actually help. For example, an e-car, is that an electric car? I suppose it is, has a bigger carbon footprint than driving a petrol car for 12 years. We as a nation are lacking basic knowledge and due care regarding climate change. Now, I'm no scientist, so I don't know if that's true or not true. And do you mean that driving old cars is better than having a new car all the time? I, I don't know what that means. And if somebody does uh, and can clarify, I'd love to know, because is it the case that petrol cars, if they're driven for a long period of time, are actually more efficient than having an e-car? I, I don't know. But if it is, then, oh, my God, what the hell are we doing? You know, what what are we actually doing? Tim is also on the line. Tim, great. You are a dairy farmer of 120 cows and you think we all need to change our habits. Tell me about that. Well, I'm just listening to the programme, Kira, and the re- immediate response to the declaration was talk about agriculture. And agriculture has a role to play in, in addressing climate change. There's no doubt about that. But transport has every much a bigger role, as you were just saying, to address climate change. And we're not really talking about that, are we? You know, I think um, it, we need to broaden the discussion. We need to look at what's happening. And we also need, as farmers, we need a bit more direction as to what to do and how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. I hear you, but are you, and, 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 and just to be clear, I'm not thinking that the only thing that we need to do is go after agriculture. I don't think yeah. that for, a, I don't think that for a minute, Tim, right? Not even for a second. But I think it is unreasonable to say we, we, we only go after haulage or we only go after public, you know, I think we're going to have to go after loads of different things is actually what I see it. But as, as a dairy farmer, and, and I have massive respect for farmers, actually, and I think you work very hard and I think we need you. But as a farmer, like, have you any exit strategy from being a dairy farmer? Is there a way of changing to tillage? Is there a way of moving into more horticultural projects or, or changing to a more organic and less, I don't even know what, less carbon inefficient way of farming? Are, are there ways of doing that or not? Well, I, I think part of the problem is your impression that dairying is, is carbon inefficient. Irish dairy farming is probably the most carbon-efficient dairy farming in the world because it's grass-based and it's pasture, it's outdoors, the cows. I'm looking out the window at the minute at my cows grazing grass in the sunshine with a blue sky overhead. It's as natural and as close to the original intention as you're going to get. I think we have on this farm and on many farms I know implemented significant changes already that we know help. So, for example, when we spread slurry now, we use what's called a trailing shoe to spread the slurry, which puts it down in lines on the ground instead of splashing it up in the air. That significantly reduces the ammonia emissions from the slurry, which is one of the major causes of climate change or one of the climate change gases. When we use nitrogen on this farm, we are now using what's called protected urea, which reduces the ammonia emissions by about 75% and also nitrous oxide emissions by about 75%. These are things we know work and we can use them. We need more of that. We need more direction and, and more guidance and on how, to, Tim, how to achieve this reduction that wh- we need. What about, and, and I hear you. And, and, I, and, and, and uh, you know, I do. And, and to be honest... Uh, <laughs> My father, when when I was growing up, worked for Gould and Chemicals, and he, what he did was he was on the road driving around to farmers selling them fertilizer. Exactly as you, you know, and we we never heard anything other than about urea and everything around the dinner table as children. But but here's the thing: the cows themselves produce uh, methane; they they belch it yes. out. Yes. And is is there just no two ways about that? I, I'm not 
I, and I really am and I mean you know and, and, and I'm no vegan either and, and people often give out to me about my, my lack of support for veganism but you know I, I'm not having a pop I'm just saying inherent to agriculture between the transport between the cows themselves between this that and the other it's it's going I mean it's, it's producing currently 30% of our emissions is there is is that just the way it's going to be or with, with slight tweaks well I think I think that we, we need a more informed discussion now because I have a son at home farming here with me. He's, he did a, a degree in agriculture in UCD, and he's quite into the science of, of, of dairy farming. And he would say that the methane cycle is very different to, to the carbon cycle, that methane it has only about a 12-year impact on the environment, that it's, it's a much shorter-term issue and that it can be dealt with in a different fashion. The best way we can deal with methane emissions from cows is to have very efficient cows, so that every cow we have in the farm is producing milk, is producing a lot of milk efficiently and at, at, at an environmental price that's as low as we can possibly make it. We can't do without them. Um, it's only about four years since uh, milk quotas were abolished in 2015, and the change in the rural economy from the increase in dairy production has been phenomenal. And here, where I'm sitting in County Cork, around me in Mallow, McCroom, Bandon, Inneskeen, Mitchellstown, really down in Middleton, Charleville, all these towns have seen growth in employment. Yeah, not that's just on dairy farms. Oh, Tim, I get that. Well, no, I get that. And that's why I, and I, I said that exact thing. I said agriculture is, is, is the, the only industry to some extent worth a damn in rural Ireland. It, it, it is, it is, ex, it, it is yeah. exactly that. And I see that. Uh, and yeah. I see what you're saying. You're saying the more milk, the more milk and whatever you, you can produce from a cow, well, in that case, there's still, the sa- yeah, there's still yeah. the same amount of methane coming from the cow. And so the, the amount of methane per litre of milk is going down. And I get that. Um, yeah. I, I just wonder where I wonder where we're going. But thank you. And I actually really value having a farmer coming on and, and giving us their, their insight into it because I think it's very valuable. We need farmers, lad. We need to eat. We, we need we need the economy to boom. We need employment. But we also need to eat at the, at the end of the day. Daniel's also on the line. Daniel, you think declaring an emergency is actually going a bit far. Tell me why. Uh, yeah, uh, Kira. Yeah, I don't think there is any emergency. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of mixing up of different topics here. You, you have we all want a clean environment, and people link the environmental issues like pollution and overuse of resources to a, a, a different issue, which is is uh, the belief in in, in CO two causing uh, human uh, induced global warming. Yeah, and it's like if you have any topic that you're passionate about that you can in any way link to global warming. Next thing, you know, you make that link, you make that connection, you get funding for your studies. You're like Mary Robinson in the Great Lakes District of Africa, where she's mad about this area. She wants to help the people. So she links their problems, which is primarily overpopulation. She links that to, to climate change. Okay. And it's a, you, take, you can take so many different topics um, out there. Do, do you accept, I suppose, like so Daniel, the, the fundamental principle, though, that, that the planet is warming up? And if it warms up, uh, if it, if it, it warms up by two degrees, we will see floods and famines and migration on a grand I, scale and death and all sorts no, of apocalyptic no, no, no. things. I, I, that's, a, that's a big question there, Gary. But I wouldn't say, well, first of all, it's the planet warming. I, yes, it is, because we're coming out of, say, we had the mini ice age, which lasted up to the middle of the 19th century. And, you know, we all know the old famous pictures of the Thames freezing over in London every year and them having the fairs and so on. So we went through a colder period and now we're going through a warmer period. And there does appear to be a contribution by by uh, CO2, man-made CO2 does appear to be contributing to this. But exactly how serious it is and 
how worthwhile. So you you are a sort of a climate skeptic. No, I'd say I'm I'm a realist. You know, it's, it, people like to say, you know, if you if you question, it's like the new religion, and if you question it, it's like being a heretic and you should be burned at the stake. And and uh, but it's better to step back a little bit and say, hold on, just what are we throwing money at here? And you know, what's, does anybody do a cost benefit analysis? Like we've so many like think trillions have uh, have been spent already on this topic. And I, I I don't see cost benefit analysis even here in Ireland. Uh, we've spent a lot of money in a lot of areas, and and nothing uh, as, as to how effective this has been. All right, so look, th- thank you for that. No, thank you for that. I, I think we yeah. want, want to hear all points of view. Thank you for that, Daniel. You heard what Daniel said. The planet is warming anyway. I think it, maybe it is. I think there are cyclical changes in the planet, but we can see greenhouse gases, can't we? Can't we? Can't we identify our contribution to them? Um, what do you think? Five three one zero six. There are still people texting in saying, "Why should we do anything?" Because China's not doing anything or India's not doing anything. There's still people like Daniel saying, "I don't really trust the science," and there are still people saying, "I couldn't give a fiddler's." Uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do what I like, and why shouldn't I? I have bigger priorities in my life. Five three one six. Let us know what you think. 